Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. MC Taylor, frontman of the band Hiss Golden Messenger, joins me for this newest episode of Wheels Off. There's a thing that happens when I'm recording these episodes all over Zoom now, where when somebody says something that I think, thank God someone is saying that for folks to hear who have artistic aspirations or are navigating a life in the arts or have, you know, creativity, you know, gnawing away inside of them. Thank God this person is saying this thing for those folks to hear. And I'll glance up at the place on my screen where it reassures me that it is recording. Sometimes I worry that my guest will notice me glancing away and think that, oh, I'm checking some sort of a text or email or something. But I'm looking to make sure that it's being recorded because thank God somebody is saying this. That happened a number of times during this conversation with MC. He just says so many things that I want people to hear, specifically, you know, folks who are struggling with this life and lifestyle and job. He had a lot of great insight. I mean, I feel like I'm so lucky. All of my guests do. But it, it just hit me while I was having this conversation with MC, who's someone that I didn't know before, um, whose work I've long admired. And, and, and now that I've spoken to him, I feel like I've must have known him. He seems like an old friend. He said so many really great, useful, insightful, incisive things during the course of this conversation. I couldn't help but keep glancing up at that little slot where it said recording, reassuring me that I hadn't screwed up and let all of this wisdom fly off into the ether. No, in fact, it has been committed to tape and it is now headed to you via your headphones and this episode of Wheels Off. Please welcome to it the great M.C. Taylor of His Golden Messenger. Welcome to Wheels Off, M.C. Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me. His Golden Messenger, congrats on the new record. It's so nice to have you with me on Wheels Off. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Um. For the edification of our listening audience, where are you logging in from? I'm in Durham, North Carolina, which is where I live. Beautiful. I love Durham. It's a good spot. It's a good spot. Kind of under the radar. Um, you know, it's it's one of the... Where are you? I'm in the Hudson Valley, north of Manhattan. Okay. What's, what town? New Paltz. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well... 
you've you've been coming through Durham for decades at this point, I suspect. So um, I, I really think of Durham as like one of the jewels of the Southeast in the past, like 15 years. Um, the. Yeah, the city has transformed in pretty profound ways, um, some of which are, you know, come with all kinds of issues. But um, the the culture of this place, the culture of this place is very strong. Um, so for a for a for a town of its size, it's 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 a relatively small southern town. Um, we have we have everything that the A-listers have. <laughs> Have you ever been tempted to go to Nashville, go to LA, Manhattan, Brooklyn, any of that? Um, well, I grew up in California. I grew up in Southern California. I lived in San Francisco for 10 years. Um, I think because of my upbringing and, and then, you know, when I was in San Francisco, I was, I was down in LA a lot because I was playing music then, not as his golden messenger, but um so i always have felt like i've had some kind of proximity to la um la has grown more attractive to me as a place um you know i had a i had a i had whatever you have when you're a kid with the place that you kind of come from i i grew up in orange county because I, I wasn't in la but la was close enough that it, that it felt like that was a place i needed to get away from um, it's funny to me that in my lifetime, the personalities of San Francisco and Los Angeles have essentially switched. So when I was a, when I was a teenager, if you were a hippie or in any way progressive or not, not progressive because LA is that too, but you know, if you were, if you felt like you needed to react against the quote unquote plasticity of Southern California, then you would go to the Bay area. And, um, I think like anecdotally speaking, it's the opposite now. <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like, like watching a magnet switch its poles or something. It's, it's very, it's a little, uh, <laughs> a little confusing, but, but I get it. I love being in, in LA. Will I ever move there? Um, I'm not sure about that. Nashville, I don't really feel the need. Um, every time I'm, I'm in Nashville, I'm kind of like, I like being here for a couple of days, but I, I feel like I can do the work that I need to do um, from, from Durham, which is, you know, 400 miles away or something. Do you feel like what you do is skewed just enough away from sort of mainstream tastes that that you don't fit into the nashville uh vibe world track um i'm not sure i haven't i haven't tried i mean i certainly do a fair bit of co-writing with people mostly as just a fun um a fun songwriting exercise at this point in my life it kind of feels like it flexes some songwriting muscles that i enjoy so i i feel like if i were asked i could probably hold my own in some kind of room of songwriters but um i don't know that that particular 
type of writing is necessarily where my heart is. <laughs> um, I don't have anything against it, but it just, I don't know. I don't know that that writing in that way is my strongest suit. <laughs> sure. Um, but I mean, do I feel like I'm left of center of like, of mainstream country? Yes, definitely. I even feel that way about the Americana world. I feel like people in this, this broad world of roots music that we inhabit are, are can be a little confused about what his golden messenger is. Part of that is intentional because it's just like my mode of operating. It's just like something that I still carry with me from like my punk rock and hardcore days where I just have to be a little more complicated than necessary. <laughs> so funny. I, I'm reminded of a conversation I had back when old 97s were on Electra and we were label mates with Third Eye Blind and the president of the label was giving me a speech to encourage me to be more like them and she said why do you have to be so sophisticated like it was the dirtiest possible of all words right yeah it's an interesting thing but um yeah it's funny because i always think like my my music like my music feels like it goes down pretty easy i don't know <laughs> i don't know what y'all are talking about but um um I don't know. At the same time, I feel like I have this I have this funny little niche that I inhabit that I I kind of enjoy at this point. I like it. There's not there's not really a, and a ton of other bands that sound like Hiss for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a creative project you're working on at the at the moment in sort of the wake of an album release and all that right now? Um, yeah, I'm thinking about a couple things. Um, I, I, um, when we recorded jump for joy, there was a lot of music that we, re we probably recorded almost two records worth of stuff. And we assembled, we assembled, um, a set of songs that felt like they want, wanted to live together. So it wasn't that we were necessarily choosing the absolute best songs. It was more like we were, I was trying to to trace a sort of narrative arc with the songs that ended up on jump for joy um consequently there's a bunch of stuff that didn't end up on there that um i have been sort of looking at with kind of or listening to i should say with with sort of fresh ears because i haven't revisited it for a while and it's actually interesting how that material all kind of sounds like it sounds like its own there's a certain like uh there's a certain musical palette that's happening on that other stuff that's somehow different from what is on jump for joy not drastically so but enough that it's like huh okay i see why i didn't put this song or this song on the record but also those two songs sound kind of uh like they live in the same world so i'm now thinking about just what what's going to happen with that stuff am i gonna am i gonna finish that as a record i i don't really know 
Um, and then the other thing is I do this project with a friend of mine named Cameron Ralston uh, called Revelators, which is yeah. like, it's like a free jazz project. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, not free jazz, really. It's, it's just, just kind of, there's elements of jazz and dub and just beat music and there's no singing. And, um, we've been kind of poking, poking away at some new stuff there. So. Exciting. Were you tempted with jump for joy to go the full double album route? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it crossed my mind definitely, but you know, I think like at this point in time, I have for better or worse, like a little too much music business in my brain. And I just think like, I love a double album. I think like, I think a double album is a lovely format to just sink into, but I just, I'm not sure that that's the best way to maximize whatever it is I'm trying to do. That sounds so corny, but no, no. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure you you get it. Um, it. It's all changed. I mean, like even a single album's a lot for people to take in now. It is. It is a lot. Like that's one thing I'm wondering is like, is the net? Maybe I just need to be putting. I mean, this is all like this is not stress thinking. It's more just like ruminating like maybe i need to just like be putting singles out i don't really know <laughs> well it's funny i thought that's where you were going when you said there was a couple of songs that sounded like they live together i was suddenly imagining that you were going to leak out these remaining tunes as like a single here an ep there well, yeah one off i mean that that might be the way because these these songs like they they take up a lot of a lot of real estate <laughs> like i was listening to um i was listening to some of these these off cuts i guess i i would call them and they were reminding me just in the way that they're kind of dancing of like uh like some parliament records which are you know that's like a that, those records are are a really big shared uh thing for everybody in the band those those like um funk and telecky and and um uh one nation under a groove and all those are like those are big ones for everybody in the band and i can like hear us not not like copying i don't know there's just something i'm like this sounds like parliament <laughs> well i felt like jump for joy has a has a lot of groove in it yeah 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 i mean that's that's like a big that's always been a big thing for me but having assembled a band that can really swing sort of anything i feel like we've really drilled down and i've really pressed everybody to like um think rhythmically and as often as possible like i i want the whole band playing as a rhythm section so that the whole thing is kind of rolling along like you know, I I like a guitar solo or or keys stepping out or something. I, I like that stuff. But like what I love is when everybody is rolling in like this big rhythm and it just feels like sort of undeniably rhythmically compelling. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. 
So this wheels off series of conversations that, that that I've had for the last couple of years with folks is really about, you know, where we come from cre- creatively and creativity in general. I feel like you address that a lot on Jump for Joy. Mm-hmm. Did, is that sort of intentional? Is, this a, is there is there a thesis that you were tr- yeah. thinking of? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it's not like a, it's not a narrative record. Um like I, I'm not starting a story at the beginning, and by the last song, I'm I'm concluding the story. But I I am actually revisiting certain scenarios and situations that I feel like I found myself in, or people that I knew were in at some point in my life as a musician. I mean, it's really like the record feels in large part like watching watching the landscape roll by, the landscape of my life roll by through the window of a band. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I know you have that, you have that too. Um, so, so like there is a lot of, imagery in there that really is just like things that i experienced starting when i was 17 and we are my punk band bought our first tour van and just without knowing anything really just started rolling around and playing shows and finding ourselves in new places i mean going to like yeah going to brand new places for the first time like 17 years old going to texas for the first time i was like oh my god we're in texas (laughs) you know um just it was it's exhilarating i mean and i still actually i still feel that thrill um i was like one of those kids that uh you know like on the road hit me hard (laughs) um it's sort of more complex and maybe I, yeah, it, it maybe doesn't hit me the same way now. I, 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 I revisit it. Uh, I revisit some of that Kerouac stuff occasionally and I'm like, okay, I definitely can see why I loved this when I was 16 years old. Um, but man, that, that really, that stuff hit me that like that feeling of wanderlust and being with friends and crisscrossing the country, you know, I just wanted that. Um, and I feel like there's a little bit of that in, in jump for joy too, but you know, a song like Jesus is bored is really like, that's just kind of like a list of stuff that I felt or experienced as a 17 year old kid leaving California for the first time in a, in a tour van that we bought for $500. Um, you know, it's really beautiful. Um, funny, my son at 19 years old rode on the tour bus on a West coast tour recently. And after a few dates said, uh, Oh my God, dad, this is so much fun. And I Mm -hmm. wanted to, I told him like, yeah, that's why I kept leaving you guys. Yeah. That's <laughs> what they pay us for. But also it's great when you when you love your job. So I wonder about that young you. Um, do you remember when it when it clicked for you? Was there like an epiphany moment where you knew like, oh, I'm gonna be a rock and roller, I'm gonna be a musician, this is my life? 
you know, I kind of like, I kind of slid into it. I actually, it took me years and years and years to ever understand how, how I would ever make a dime playing music. I mean, I, I would say that I went through, certainly I went through all of my punk rock years and even like 10, the 10 years of playing in like a kind of like, you know, country rock band in San Francisco. I mean, I went through years and years without ever thinking about money. I, I, I always had a full-time job. I would just spend my sick time and vacation time. I always liked the idea of making some money, um, but I never <laughs> understood how that would be possible. And, you know, I was well into my thirties before, before I was making any significant money whatsoever um, playing music. And um, I don't know. I don't know what it is that like made me have that like stick to itness because there was no, I mean, and, and for a lot of that time, I was not, I hadn't found my way as a songwriter. I was a pretty bad, I was bad at it. You know what I mean? It just, I was, a, I was, a, um, yeah, I was probably a slow learner or there's probably all kinds of reasons why it took me so long to find my thing, to find my musical confidence. Um, I just had to, to go through a bunch of stuff. Um, so like what was when was the time that I figured like I'm gonna be a musician like this is it probably like six months ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah like six months ago I was like I think this actually could work maybe I don't need to look for a full-time job <laughs> were there moments where you almost gave up and went the more traditional route well <clears throat> When I moved to North Carolina with my wife in 2007, um, like I, I ended my band in San Francisco and I went to grad school at UNC and wow. I didn't really know, I still had my instruments, but I knew that I needed to like renegotiate my relationship with music if I was going to gain any kind of understanding about what music meant to me. I think it, I needed to like actually reclaim some kind of sense of, uh, I don't know, like personal emotional connection to music. Um, and I, so I, I think I just needed, I needed, my musical life to get really, really small. You know, it needed to just be like me and a guitar, basically like starting from zero. Forget about like, forget about the old band, forget about the like punk rock, forget about the 15 years that I had already spent making records. And I just was like, I'm starting at zero right now. Um, and that was, I think of that, which would have been like around 2009, 2008, 2009, I think of that as like the beginning of my 
certainly what people think of as his golden messenger now and that's the way i think of it too like everything prior to that was almost like an internship <laughs> unpaid <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's fantastic do you do you listen to that stuff from pre-2008 with pride do you listen to it in cringe H how does it make you feel or or, or do you eschew all nostalgia and not listen yeah to no i i know i'm a i'm a sucker for nostalgia i know people say that it's i don't know not bad in some way but i can't help it <laughs> um yeah pride and cringe i mean yeah both sure. both like i'm proud that um i'm proud that i i'm i did it and i'm still here and i i didn't I didn't walk away and I didn't die, you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, not cringe, but I just, I can hear stuff that I was doing in 2001 and understand now, like, yeah, I, I understand why the, I, I understand why this wasn't clicking in any way. It wasn't clicking with me. It wasn't clicking with people out in the world like i can hear exactly what what it was missing um and those missing pieces i couldn't have articulated it when i was searching for them but like the missing pieces were what i had to go find in order to like make his gold messenger feel real to me yeah so perseverance comes up a lot in these conversations, especially, you know, folks who have been doing it for a while. And um, like, I wonder for you, when you run up against internally generated obstacles, and I'm assuming you do, because I've never spoken to someone in anything like our line of work that doesn't have negative inner voices, uh, imposter syndrome, success, guilt, like the the things that we build up inside of ourselves that become obstacles uh, of, of our own creativity i wonder what have you come up with strategy wise to get beyond those things to persevere mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i feel like those voices grow loud when i'm not when i when i'm not uh engaged in the creative process i'm not really a person at this point in my in my songwriting life i'm not really a person that picks up a guitar every single day yeah. and i don't have that kind of practice you know not right now um and and i'm totally at peace with that i don't feel guilt about it you know i'm even like i'm past the guilty part i'm just like I pick up a guitar and work on stuff when it feels like there's a chance that I might catch something. Um, but I do know that when I'm not uh, engaged creatively is when is when the darkness is more visible to me. It's when I it's when like sort of negativity is in my head. It's when um, I get depressed like any time that i'm going through some kind of depression my wife is always who you know we've been together forever and she's she's always like are you have you been writing at all she just knows and um i'm like no so 
So one of the antidotes, I think, to that stuff is just picking up a guitar and like and trying to remind myself of like what what it what I'm here for um, or, you know, what started all of this, <laughs> what started all the problems is this guitar um, that is often enough. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, um, do you ever get the sense that you were searching for a meaning and that you found it in music? Oh, definitely. No question. I mean, I don't know that music has answered questions for me, but I think that music has, has lifted up questions into the light, has showed me that it's okay to walk with questions that don't feel like they have answers or that feel like they have answers that are always changing. Um, I mean, music has, has been such a pressure valve for me emotionally in terms of like dealing with demons expressing vulnerability which is so important to humans and we have such a hard time with that i often think like how do other people that don't have an artistic practice how do they get this stuff out because you know with songwriting or painting or writing there's a way that you can express this stuff that is acceptable right i mean like it's we have been given a structure a very malleable structure that allows us to like express even things that are really complex and complicated but we can we can put this stuff out into the world and there's like there's something really powerful about like airing emotions and i'm just like think about a lot of a lot of people that don't have that and it's that sounds intense i think that i i don't think that i would be here without music honestly ah oh, i love that i spoke to lucinda williams yesterday who's a hero of mine and she Same. Yeah, and she she was so great. The whole thing was so great. But she describes uh, like a young songwriter coming and asking her, "How do I do it?" And you know, and Lou said, "You have to go to a really dark place. You have to be mm -hmm. willing to go to a really dark place and be really vulnerable." And she mm -hmm. described him, you know, balking and saying, "I don't, I don't think I can do that." And uh, but I love you, it. You, such I mean, value. You, she's right. You have to. Yeah, I don't think there's another way to not to find success but to actually write a song that feels like it can be a companion with you yeah. through through <laughs> through the years i mean right we're trying to write songs that we can carry with us like these sort of like totems through not just today but you know ideally next year it's not the song's not going to mean something different but uh, I mean, the song, the song is going to mean something different in a lot of cases, but um, yeah, that, that requires a vulnerability. 
I love it. Well, I, I know you have um, a couple of little people in your life, and, and I feel like this question always becomes a little more like um, of a less academic uh, for people that have smaller versions of themselves living in a house with them. You, uh, if you, if you don't mind, imagine a 21 year old version of yourself, but in today's world mm -hmm. and, and what advice might you give that 21 year old version of you? Gosh, um, is that 21 year old version of me with the same hopes and dreams and fantasies? I mean, I think you get to decide. <laughs> Let's assume that it's 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 yeah. a facsimile of me, <laughs> a clone. Yeah, a clone. Um. Hmm. I I would say for one thing, take other people's musical advice with a serious grain of salt with a serious grain of salt because i think back to some suggestions that were given to me with such confidence that derailed me in some cases for years that were so off base for me maybe they worked for that person or maybe that person wanted their musical world to function in that way, but then didn't, didn't work for me. And I didn't have the confidence to say, I hear what you're saying, but that's not how I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like certainly a lot of my creative life and creative practice has been has been figuring out my self-confidence in terms of how I how I create things and um part of my songwriting epiphany or whatever you call it that happened in 2009 or 10 or whenever it was it was actually exactly when we had had our first kid and that's no coincidence at all they're like completely connected is that i found a sort of personal self-confidence that gave me permission to say to myself this is a cool song and I don't care how many people hear it. And I don't care how many people agree with me. Like in my opinion, this is a good song. That is a hard place for me to get to. It took me like 20 years. Um, I think I have always been really hard on myself about that kind of thing and a little unsure of myself. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been kind of an introverted person and just kind of trying to, trying to fit in, you know, so it's a leap to actually 
get to a place where you say like, I don't give a shit <laughs> what anyone says. This song's cool. <laughs> I, I think that probably, that's probably something that I would say to a 20 year old version of me. And I, I do, I feel like um, since then, since that epiphany, I feel like your music has been really well received by critics and by fans. I wondered, does that land with you? I mean, does that ever feel validating that sort of outside stuff? Or if you were to let that in, would you also have to let in the voices, the naysaying voices as well? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I do, I do see that stuff. And, um, and I do see the bad reviews too. Um, I mean, I've put out a lot of records now and, <laughs> you know, so maybe, a, maybe a bad or a lukewarm review, which might actually even be worse than a bad review yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Um, I, I think that stuff doesn't sting quite as much. Um, you know, I mean, I want people to like this music. Of course, that's 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 the honest truth. Is like I want people to have a connection to this music. Of course, so. Um, but I take it all with a grain of salt. I mean, even the most astute critic, even the critic that loves my record records so much is never going to understand where I'm coming from. You know what I mean? It's just too, it's, it's too inside me. There's stuff that I couldn't explain about his golden messenger songs. If I wanted to, it would take too long and it wouldn't, you know what I mean? It's just, so I think that's something that I now keep in mind when I see a great glowing review or some person online that's like, you know, I don't like this record is boring. It's just kind of like, I mean, yeah, I get it. I don't know. It's a lot, there's a lot to it. <laughs> it's funny, the irony too, I feel like if you were to try and explain what it was about or where it came from, it it couldn't possibly help. It could probably only hurt. Right. That's the that's the thing that I find so confusing actually about um <clears throat> this um this era that we seem to be living in of like the need for instant it's not gratification, but instant understanding. Like I'm often asked, I suspect you are too, when there's a new record coming out, can you write a, can you write a synopsis of each song? Um, and you know, the whole, this whole idea of like, we're going to do a track by track explication with Rhett Miller, where he explains every song. Um, I've always bristled at that a little bit because what is what is music if not like this beautiful mystery that encourages very personal interpretations like i just think of all of my favorite records i've never read a track by track breakdown of 
of any of my favorite records. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't want to. The song is the question and the answer. It's, it's all, all there. there. It's all there. And like the information in the song, this is the beauty of music. It's no matter how personal it is to the person performing it, when you're ingesting the song as the listener, it's kind of filtering through you and it becomes your song in a way. It's it's speaking to your life. So, you know, I don't I don't know, like. Joni Mitchell has her own understanding of what this song might be. But when I hear it, I have a very specific and personal connection to to that song. I don't want to know about hers. No. <laughs> I feel like maybe the answer is I'll tell you where I was sitting when I wrote it or what microphones, not that I would know, but the microphones, but you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Like, but the internal stuff, that's what the song is for. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I mean, there, there, are all, there, there are always, always exceptions. Sometimes I want to talk about it, but, yeah. but rare. Um, Dude, this is so great. I feel honestly, I feel like I could talk to you all day. And I'm really glad that after all these years, I finally get to speak to you. And I really appreciate you giving me the time. People are going to love this conversation. So much useful stuff. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Red. I've been a fan forever, man. I mean, oh. forever. So, well, thank you very much. And uh, old 97s are going to roll through North Carolina. And maybe I will, uh, I'll try and track you down. But the, please um, do. yeah, really. Please. The best would be if we could get paid to be on a show together and then we just get to do our jobs. Let's do that. And hang out. I love it. Cool, man. Thank you uh, so much. Thanks, MC. Okay. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.